Turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. This is our second week in the book of Philippians. Last week, we saw how uh, really this theme of joy is throughout this book. Um, the title of the series is Chronicles of Joy, that a fruit of embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ is deep and lasting joy. And Paul is writing this letter from prison. It's not a place we would expect to find joy, but today we see where or why there is joy. There's nothing more important to Paul than the gospel. It's obvious from what we see in the text, and so let's look there together. If you would stand and follow along as I read Philippians 1, beginning with verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the joy that we see in this text and the truth. Thank you that you have entrusted it to us, Lord. You're so gracious to us, Father. We pray for your help in this time, Lord. Help us to not only hear your word, but to believe it, to embrace it, to walk in light of its truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This book is so wonderful. This text is definitely a part of the wonderful that Philippians is. I think this, as well as other texts in the book of Philippians, is a picture of what it looks like when the gospel is more important than life. That's certainly the case for Paul, and so let's look at it together, beginning with verse 12. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And Paul's encouraging them. I want you to know. Brothers is a reference to the church there. He's helping them to set their minds on truth. I want you to know. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, the question we want to answer is, what has happened to Paul? What's he referring to there? What does he mean? The what here that Paul is referring to is that he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. When he says that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, he's saying, 
The fact that I preached the gospel and was imprisoned for it has actually served to advance the gospel. He's in prison. In prison. Chained to guards constantly. And you look at the heart of this letter. He's not not whining about his situation. Paul doesn't go on and on about life in prison. In fact, we don't really get details of it at all. He barely mentions it. He just kind of brushes over it with this phrase, what has happened to me? And in the midst of his circumstances in prison, Paul maintains joy in the midst of these difficult circumstances. How? By remaining focused on the gospel. You think about that. Paul continues to have joy, maintains joy in prison by remaining focused on and embracing the gospel. But the gospel is what got him thrown into prison. Now, how many people would be tempted to say in Paul's circumstance, what in the world? This isn't fair. I was trying to give my life for this. I was trying to, to give everything. I was giving all to this. And this is, this is what happens. This is where I end up, is in prison. I'm not going to believe this if this is where it gets me. But the very thing that brought him suffering is what brings him joy in the midst of that suffering. He's stuck in prison and able to rejoice. When Paul says that it has served to advance the gospel, by gospel he means the preaching of Christ, that Christ came to this earth, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and lived a perfect life, and died for our sins, was raised to life, and that there's salvation in no one else but Him, and that he is king over all. And so how has his suffering and imprisonment served to advance the gospel? Paul was thrown into prison, obviously, to do the opposite of that, to hinder the advancement of the gospel, right? That's, that was the whole point of throwing him in prison. We've got to stop this. This guy won't stop talking about this Jesus and his death and his resurrection and more and more people are coming to him. We've got to stop this. And so they throw him into prison, thinking that that is going to hinder the advancement of the gospel. Paul says, no, it's just the opposite. What happened to me has actually served in advancing the gospel of Jesus. Now, how does it do that? How is what happened to Paul, how is his imprisonment serving to advance the gospel? And there are two ways that it is advancing. First, it is advancing in its impact outside of the church. We see that in verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now the imperial guard was a group of hand-picked soldiers that numbered 9,000 men. 
You can imagine as soldier after soldier after soldier is physically chained to Paul, he has a captive audience. Literally. They're not going anywhere. And so again and again and again and again, Paul's just telling the gospel, speaking the gospel, speaking the gospel, speaking the gospel. Hearing the glorious gospel message from Paul's lips. They hear it from Paul as he speaks directly to them. They hear it over and over again as Paul speaks the gospel to those who visit with him because Paul's consumed with the gospel. And so they would have heard it a lot. But even more, the guards were certainly not used to this kind of joy-filled inmate. And what do you do with that? How do, you, how do you work that out in your head and in your heart as you're hearing this gospel proclaimed and seeing the fruit of it in this man? What must they have thought as they hear the message and see the effects in the life of Paul? He says, not just the imperial guard, not just those I'm chained to, but beyond that, as this message is going out, people are hearing and believing the gospel hearing that his imprisonment is for this message, is for Christ. And it's having an impact. So it's making its way into new territories outside the church. But Paul tells us also it's making an impact to advance the gospel inside the church. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It's wonderful. The gospel is not just advancing outside the walls of the church, but because of Paul's imprisonment, it's making way inside of the church. It's doing something even in believers. It's incredible. And it's what happens when God is at work and the gospel is embraced. This is such a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty in salvation and works. And we might think that people in the church would hear about Paul. Hey, did you, did you hear what happened to Paul, the apostle Paul? Did you hear what happened? No. I got in prison. He got thrown in prison. Why did he get thrown in prison? Because he's talking about Jesus. He's telling so many people about Jesus, and they threw him into prison. You might think that the response to that would be, well, we, we probably should be more careful. We, we probably should be cautious who we talk to. Maybe we shouldn't Maybe we shouldn't speak so openly about the gospel. We need to guard and we need to take care of each other and we need to make sure because we don't want to be thrown into prison. But the response in the church, not just in Philippi, but it seems Paul's saying in other places as well, the response to his imprisonment and the fact that he was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, rather than fear and timidity, it says that they've become confident and much more bold to speak the word without fear. They see what's happened. 
They know where, where Paul is at and why he's there, and Timothy's with him. And rather than saying, I don't know if I can sign up for that, they become more confident in the faith. They become more open with the gospel. They become fearless in speaking with others about Christ. It's so wonderful. God's sovereign work at hand, suffering and imprisonment is bringing about salvation and boldness for Christ. Not what the world wants at all, but what God wants through these circumstances. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is, in, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As we work our way through this gospel-saturated letter, we ought to pray. Certainly, we ought to be praying for joy, the joy that we see throughout this despite circumstances. More and more joy that comes from embracing the gospel, but we ought to pray for courage, boldness, openness, that God would give us courage to speak about Him openly with each other, and then with others outside of the body of Christ. Because the, the gospel, as Paul tells us, is powerful. That's what he says in Romans 1.16. I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I ask you, is that how you feel? Is that what you know about the gospel? And this is not just this circumstance. I, I, I often think of you know, Paul going to Lystra, and um, I think I'm picking the right town. Tell me if I'm wrong. It's okay. Um, and preaching the gospel. And you remember he was, he was taken there and stoned and left there for dead by people who knew how to stone people. They knew how to throw rocks really, really well. And they thought he was dead. And the disciples are surrounding him. The believers are surrounding him. And he gets up in the midst of those people and he walks back into the city to preach the gospel. And that's amazing. It's amazing. But what I'm even more amazed by is he goes back and there's a guy named Timothy there who saw that happen, who saw the fruit of the gospel in Paul's life, saw this guy got hit by a lot of rocks and they thought he was dead because of it. And he goes to Timothy and he calls him to follow him and to do what he's doing. And Timothy goes. Now, you don't do that unless you realize the gospel in Christ is worth that. So yeah, I'll go with you, Paul. I see the fruit of that. I know what happens to you. I know what the effects of preaching the gospel for you have been. I want to be with you. 
I want to go with you. And it's not just Timothy. It's spreading, Paul's saying. The effects of me being in prison for preaching the gospel of Christ is that the believers in the church are becoming more confident in openly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's boldness and there's no fear. It's beautiful. And so I want to encourage you, if you lack courage, first pray. Pray. And read Read the Bible. Read the, the, the stories in the Bible of, of the truth of the gospel and its fruit. And attach yourself to someone or more than one who you see as having courage. And let that begin by you speaking about the gospel with your friends, those inside the body of Christ. And then let that flow out into others. And also, I would encourage you, read biographies. I read biographies of people like Adoniram Judson and people who gave their lives and suffered greatly for the name of Christ. We live in a bubble where we don't see these types of things often. We live in a bubble where, just let's be frank, it's it's honestly easy for us. We read texts like 1 Peter 4, where, where, Paul, where Peter writes and says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking of, of, as Christ who, who suffered greatly. And later in the text where he says, uh, rejoice in as far as you suffer for the name of Christ. You may also rejoice at his coming. We have somewhat of a disconnect with that because we do live in this place where it's, we, don't, we don't have physical suffering for Christ. So read. Look into those things and be encouraged and built up with the truth of the effects of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel. These Philippians and others in the, the body of Christ are hearing about Paul and the response was courage and boldness and confidence not in themselves but in Christ and in the gospel message. It goes on in verses 15 and following and Paul speaks of two different kinds of gospel preachers. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. There's two groups of preachers in the church who proclaimed Christ from completely different motives. So even though some were inspired by Paul's imprisonment, others were not. And it's important that we see from the text that both of these groups are preaching Christ. Their message is true. They preach Christ and Him crucified. If their preaching was not the gospel, then Paul would have said to them, just as he did to the Galatians, let them be accursed. But he doesn't say that. In fact, we see the opposite in this. The first group of preachers is the group that preaches Christ, but with wrong motives. First, they preach Christ from envy, he says. Now, those who are envious are those who are annoyed at the success or blessing of even their friends. 
Someone who's envious would deprive someone of what they have just because they don't have it themselves. You think of when a, a person sees a friend or a family member gets something new. Maybe it's a car or a house or just simply a new pair of shoes. And you want that or that person wants that and they didn't get that. And so their heart says, I don't want them to have that either. That's envy. And this kind of envy works its way into the church even. When others have spiritual blessing that, that someone else doesn't have and there's displeasure and a feeling of hurt and then resentment when they see that person praised for that spiritual blessing. And some people were actually preaching Christ from that motive of envy. Envious of Paul, envious maybe of his position, and now he's been brought down, they think. Not only that, they preach Christ, he says, from rivalry. They actually think, and we see from these verses, and hope that because of their preaching, Paul will be punished even more. The former, verse 17 says, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I want to I say here, as we consider that, that all of these people he's referring to are gospel preachers, we ought to pause for a moment and just recognize we all need Jesus really, really desperately. All of us. There is so much for which Christ died. And he is our only hope. Here are gospel preachers preaching so that Paul might be afflicted even more. You may wonder, what does that look like? I've asked Corey to come and share a story that he told from their time in Indonesia that I think helps uh, give a picture of this. So, uh, if you guys are anything like me, um, this whole concept of people preaching the gospel to afflict somebody or, um, or to cause more problems for somebody, it always kind of seems strange to me. Um, in fact, uh, the, the passage that Tony's going to speak on in a moment, when he says of the other group, he says the latter do it out of love. Like, like that makes sense to me. People wanting to preach the gospel out of love and wanting good for others, that makes sense to me. But the, the part of somebody preaching the gospel to afflict somebody did not really make sense to me. And Tony kind of talked about this, about the fact that we kind of have this, that we live in a place and we have this sort of bubble that we kind of exist in because this type of behavior or situation that is described is not something that we see on a regular basis. So while we were living overseas, you know, um, our, our, 
our ministry there was was humanitarian and evangelistic. And so uh, we just kind of rolled with a crew of people that, that shared their faith. And, and there was this one couple, they were a national um, couple, that they were, they were from Indonesia, and they, they had moved to the location where we were serving. We'll just call them John and Jane. Um, they, were, they were ministering in a village that was 100% uh, Muslim. And it was, uh, the village life is definitely much more conservative than the big city life, uh, which is where we lived. And, um, and this couple was, was ministering in particular to this one woman, and this woman had really expressed a lot of interest in Christ. And she was, um, she was basically at a point where she was willing to get baptized. And uh, so the couple leaves, because you kind of have to plan this out, right? I mean, you don't just, hey, let's just baptize you right here in front of all these folks in the village. Um, that, that would not go well. And so, so they kind of had a plan to come back at a later date. And, uh, and when they came back, somehow the, several of the other villagers had put enough pressure on the woman to explain what these people were there for. And so when, when John and Jane came back to the village, um, they were met with a, a mob that had machetes and rocks, and, and they beat John and Jane to a pulp. And, I mean, it was, it, it was severe. In, in, in fact, um, Jane had to be hospitalized for brain, issue, brain damage issues. Um, it was so severe. Meanwhile, um, after, after a period of time, the authorities actually came. I don't know how, but they came. And they arrested John and Jane because they were, they were disturbing the peace. And so they were sharing this news about Jesus in an effort to, to, you know, out of love, in an effort to bring the people in this village, starting with this one woman, um, to bring them reconciliation with God. And the police come and they interpret their actions as disturbing the peace, and then they end up getting arrested for this. So... Uh, we hear of this news, and it becomes obviously pretty, pretty devastating for everybody. Um, but at the same time, just similar to what was, what was preached in here, man, I mean, what faithfulness to see these people be so courageous and, and then be so afflicted for their, their faithfulness. Um, man, I, I just want to be that one. I want to be faithful like that. But one of the things that started to kind of make sense is um, as... As this news got out and it, and it spread, you know, it got beyond the, the police office and it got beyond this village, uh, somebody in the news that, that was in the news industry got a hand, uh, they got wind of what had happened. And what they ended up doing is they, they ended up thinking, well, let's, let's uh, expose this story in, in such a way to really incriminate them all the more, to afflict them all the more. And so they wrote the story of what John and Jane had been doing and what their work was. And then they actually, in their, in their article, they actually listed the things that John and Jane believed. And they started actually listing out the greatest points of the gospel that, um, that we have grown to love and, and cherish in the church. And, and we're reading this article f- first, of course, totally freaking out. Like, this is, this is going to be really bad. But as we're reading it, we're just like, 
oh my word, like these people are proclaiming the gospel in the newspaper of this extremely devout Muslim territory that is, that is completely closed off to these truths and is very difficult to penetrate with, these opportun- with opportunities to speak of, of the graces and the, and the glories of the gospel. And we were actually like, that is wonderful. And, and they meant it. They did not mean it because they were like, hey, we want this story to get out so that you know, it helps John and Jane, not at all. Their intention was to bring further affliction and to make it even harder for them. And, and it did. It did because there, was, there were more mobs that were forming that were protesting outside of the police stations and really like ready if they get wind that they're actually being moved from one building to another. They're ready to attack them and to kill them. And that's all true. That was their motive and they were successful in that. But one of the things they did not anticipate is that probably millions of people actually got to read about the, sal- the saving power of Jesus. And so I just, wanna, I just wanted to share this story simply because if I'm, if you guys are anything like me, I'm kind of a slow learner for one, but if you're anything like me and you live in this bubble, it kind of, it's hard to make sense of how, how does this like look? How does it look for somebody to, to preach out of rivalry? Well, this is how. And, and, and living in our, our circumstance here, it, it's hard to see that. It's hard to appreciate a text like this. But man, I was so blessed to, just when we were going through this, this situation with this family, I mean, we had to figure out ways to, you know, get them out of the province without, you know, those mobs attacking them and all sorts of things. And so it was, it was a very intense time, but man, did it bring this scripture alive. It brought this text so alive in our lives. And John was very much like Paul in the fact that he was chained to a guard not necessarily, but he had people in this prison that he was just like, hey, I'm already arrested. Like, why not keep sharing? And so he just kept sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing with people even while he was in prison. And man, it was just such a big faith builder for us. So I just wanted to share that with you guys so that it can uh, hopefully bless you in the way that it blessed us as well. Thanks, bro. So we have these people sharing Um, the gospel, preaching the gospel from envy, from rivalry. And then Paul gives this other group, those who are empathetic to him, they preach from goodwill, he says, verse 15. Some indeed indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So even, even his chains don't keep them from preaching the gospel, but their motives in preaching it are love for Christ and love for Paul. They do it out of love, preaching from good will. This is what we hope for for all of us in this. But we ought to ask, how do you think Paul feels about this? Reading again from verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. How how do you feel about that, Paul? How do you consider these people who are gospel preachers who are doing it with a motive to cause you harm? What does he say? I feel great. I feel joy 
filled. Why? Because whatever their motives might be, whatever might happen to me, Christ is proclaimed. Verse 18, what then? Only that in, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul cares much more about the glory of Christ than the glory of Paul. What matters to Paul is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean he condones the wrong motives of these preachers, but he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. To Paul, Christ matters more than what other people think of him, more than what happens to him. Christ is proclaimed, he says, and in that, whatever the motive is, in that I rejoice. Oh, that we would have that heart, that we would love the gospel of Christ more than our own lives. That we would rejoice that Christ is proclaimed, that we would rejoice that Christ is glorified, not when we are glorified. As followers of Christ, we must put him first. We must put his message first. Whatever your calling in life might be, is the gospel most important? The gospel tells us that Jesus paid it all, that we are clean and forgiven because of what he did for us. Not because of anything we could or ever will do for ourselves, but because of Christ. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sins. Each week we, we together take the bread and the cup to remind each other of this truth even as we remind ourselves that Jesus paid it all. The bread symbolizes Christ's body broken for us and the cup symbolizes Christ's blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as you, as you get the bread this morning, as you hold the cup this morning, let's remember this is the truth of the gospel that Paul embraced and proclaimed. Are we embracing that truth? And I want to encourage you, I say this often, if you're here and you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, as the bread and the cup go by, just let them pass. There's symbols that we, we take to proclaim Christ's death again and again and again until he comes. And I'm, I want to say to you this morning, I understand that if you're a visitor here and, and just kind of letting a plate pass by that everyone's kind of taking something out of, may f you, that may feel hard, especially to be told from the front, hey, don't take that. That may, there may be a pinch to that, and it may be somewhat offensive, but I want, I want to implore you here, okay? I want you to feel the weight of this. Whatever feeling of, of being left out that you might feel in that, there is a far, far greater concern than that. The reason we do this is because we're proclaiming we believe we believe that Christ died. We believe his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we believe, attached to that, that whoever does not come to Christ will be forever separated from him. 
And so the pinch that you might feel or the sadness or the discomfort you might feel just because you're letting a a piece of cracker or a cup go past is nothing compared to what you would feel being separated from Christ forever and ever and ever. And so I would encourage you, rather than partaking of a cracker and, and juice that symbolize the greatness of the gospel, partake of Christ. And we've sung songs today about His grace. We've sung songs about how His love never, ever fails. We've looked at His Word where this man values Christ so much that he would be imprisoned and in prison rejoice that the gospel is being preached even though it means more harm for him. I would encourage you to consider the gospel. Consider Christ. And if you don't know Him, then partake of Him today. Surrender to Him today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're good, Lord. You're so good to us. Your mercy never ends. Your word says your mercies are new every morning, and so we're thankful this morning. We praise you, and if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would awaken them. Help them today to know that your word is true. Jesus, that you are true. That the gospel, the good news about you is the truth. And that we are hopeless apart from the work of Christ. Jesus, what you did for us. And today I pray that they would partake of you. For those of us who do know you, Lord, help us to rejoice as we take the bread and take the cup in a few moments, that we would rejoice in the truth of the gospel and that you'd be glorified, not just in these moments that we do this, but in our lives. We pray in Christ's name, amen.